today on Ag News Daily. We've been trying to tell growers if you're underwater, you know, on some of these bushels, uh, don't get scared into uh, pricing too many bushels all at once. You know, it's a long marketing year and this is going to be a little different environment than what we've been in the last couple of years. Good afternoon, listeners. It is a warm Monday, February 12th day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Selene Howell flying solo today here without Tanner as he is making his way to the World Ag Expo in Tulare this week in California. So he'll be bringing us updates uh, from the ground there. But in the meantime, I've got some updates for news and weather and headlines here to kick off our beginning of the week. I hope everybody had a fun uh, Super Bowl Sunday yesterday. I thought it was going to be an exciting game, and it was toward the end there when the overtime uh, kicked off. But it was a slow game to start, nonetheless, after the Chiefs pulled off the victory there. Curious to know if any of our listeners were part of the 1.45 billion Americans to consume chicken wings this year. But nonetheless, that has certainly done some numbers here to support U.S. chicken the U.S. chicken industry as domestic consumption continues to soar. But speaking of domestic consumption, U.S. pork exports and domestic consumption has continued to set record levels. According to the U.S. Meat Export Federation, their 2023 value records looking at total consumption of protein showed that the pork export value for 2023 was pushed to a record $8.16 billion, up 6% from the year prior. Export values per head slaughtered also set an annual record of nearly $64, with more than $11 per head attributed to a variety of meat exports. Meat exports for the year of 2023 were relatively strong compared to years prior for a specific couple of com- of reasons. Uh, Mexico climbed the board here higher as a number one trading partner for the United States with a record 1.1 million tons through the end of the year, up 14% compared to 2022. We also saw tremendous growth in the global demand for U.S. pork, and they said that the U.S. Meat Export Federation said that came at a time when the U.S. industry really needed it most. The expansion of U.S.'s presence in Mexico made some remarkable news, but it certainly doesn't end there, according to Dan Hallstrom, the president and CEO for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He said they're also continuing to focus on more demand throughout the Western Hemisphere and a number of Asian Pacific markets as well. Their outlook here for 2024 is expected to largely remain pretty strong as well, but pork certainly took the cake, so to speak, for the year prior. As we take a look at some weather here this afternoon, got a couple of headlines to keep an eye on here as we head down to the great state of Oklahoma and Arkansas and Missouri. Winter storm warnings have been issued for parts of southern Missouri, northern Arkansas, and parts of Oklahoma as snowfalls in the area could be anywhere from three to six inches, according to the National Weather Service. They said travel will also be very difficult in these areas. And as we see the other parts of the country and winter storms that are sweeping through the nations there, the New England states will also see quite a bit of winter weathery mix heading out into the later parts of this week. 
As we look at the storm systems here, we've seen over 100 reports of severe storm damage in the south continued with heavy rain this weekend while dropping several inches of snow along the front range of Colorado into New Mexico and Texas. There were also about 30 inches of snow in parts of Arizona, too, northern Arizona, which is a little unique uh, given this time of year. As we head into the final push for the winter season, though, we're also starting to see temperatures uh, potentially lead into tornadoes. Eric Snodgrass, you know, said he personally was very excited at the Super Bowl announcement of the new Twisters movie that serves as a good reminder that we are almost in official tornado season as well, especially with some of these warmer temperatures we've been having here. We could see some unusual out-of-season tornadoes given the warmer conditions that we've been having. But we've also been seeing some warmer conditions in South America and rain has returned to some parched farmlands in Argentina. For the major soybean growing region of Argentina, they had their hottest first week of February in 30 plus years. For the major soybean growing areas of Argentina, they saw a hotter and drier start to the week, which gave way to a relatively cooler and wetter weather the latter part of the week. In Brazil, this was the third to fourth hottest week of February in 30 plus years. From Rio Grande do Sul to Mato Grosso do Sul, the hottest weather arrived during the second half of the week for these Brazilian states. Precipitation was generally below for southern Brazil, Mato Grosso do Sul, and Mato Grosso, but regardless, total precipitation for the week overall was one inch or more from Santa Catarina to eastern Mato Grosso. Moving into this week, February 12th through the 19th, they are expecting to see a bit more precipitation in southern Brazil with wetter than normal conditions expected. But drier weather should help the progress of their soybean harvest and their second corn crop planting that they are getting into the heat of it now. As we take a look at some other headlines here on this Monday afternoon, BASF has announced a new approval of a herbicide by the EPA. Initially announced in the spring of 2023, BASF's Certain herbicide has been in the works since 2012 and is now approved for official use subject to each state's individual approval. The product is intended for use on corn acres and is the industry's first solid encapsulated herbicide technology, which BASF says maintains crop safety while providing a long residual length. It uses two active ingredients to control and suppress 79 different broadleaf and grass weeds, such as Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and giant ragweed. They said every year growers spend millions of dollars to control these weeds in cornfields due to increased herbicide resistance. And this new certain herbicide's unique chemistry will target weeds at their most vulnerable state, providing excellent control of even the most troublesome weeds facing corn growers today. And as we look at some greater economic headlines here, U.S. Consumer Price Index rose less than initially thought in December, but the annual revisions published by the Labor Department on Friday also showed that Consumer Price Index increased slightly more than previously reported in October and November. 
CPI rose two-tenths of a percent in December, as opposed to the three-tenths of a percent reported last month. And the revisions that the CPI data published by the Labor Division showed that November was revised higher to show that the CPI was increasing at a two-tenths of a percent rate rather than one-tenth as previously stated. And so while we do see inflation uh, continuing to come down in pace, we're in the disinflationary period now where we are still seeing inflation at relatively high levels compared to where it has been, but seeing those levels start to come down. Of course, that is one of the biggest economic indicators that Jerome Powell and others on the Federal Reserve are watching. But money managers also this weekend raised their net short positions and are betting on lower prices to come. This new net short position has seen the highest level in almost four years for the week ending February 6th. We're also seeing investors were net short by 293,678 futures contracts in corn the last week, according to the latest CFTC report. That's up from the 279,000 contracts a week prior and the largest bearish position since June of 2020. We're going to get Matt Bennett's take on that and more coming up in our Market Monday conversation here in just a moment. But before we do, let's take a quick look at where the markets have closed for today. March corn up a penny and a half at 4.30 and a half. March soybeans added nine and a half cents today to close at 11.93. In the wheat complex, after trading lower in the overnights here, we saw much of the wheat complex remain in the red. March wheat today added just three quarters of a cent to settle at 5.97 and a half. March hard red winter wheat down two and three quarters cents at 5.98 and three quarters. And finally, March spring wheat down a penny and three quarters cents to close at 6.82 and a half. Taking a look at the livestock markets today and where they settled on the board, February, excuse me, April live cattle shed 80 cents today to close at a buck 85.92 and a half. March feeder cattle added $1.67 and a half, settling out at $2.48.82. And April lean hogs lost just two and a half pennies today, closing at $81.12 and a half. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our Market Monday conversation with Matt Bennett. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Matt, you guys just came off of your conference, your big conference for last week. How did that go for you? It was, it was a very good uh, conference for us. You know, it's the second year in a row that we've gone to Nashville. We felt like it was a good location, a little farther south than most of the, you know, predominant majority of our growers that we work with. And so give them a little bit of a chance to move that direction, which in the wintertime, of course, is a good thing. Uh, but we had a great lineup, uh, you know, be able to put, uh, you know, in front of them, uh, you know, really good, uh, I guess, names like uh, Dan Bozzi, of course, phenomenal uh, uh, guy been in the industry forever uh, Dave Hightower same thing you know and then of course uh, Eric Snodgrass doing weather in my opinion is uh, the easiest one to listen to I think there's a lot of fantastic ones I just really uh, like the way that he puts things out there so we really enjoyed having him and then Randy Dowdy and you know, on the production side came in and talked to us about some ideas as far as you know, uh, some of the things that he's done to be a national corn growers champ and soybeans and, the, you know, he's, he's uh, been the uh, national champ on both sides of things. So we had a really good turnout, uh, great feedback, and people had a, uh, had a great time, I think, most of all. 
Well, that sounds like a great lineup of speakers. I'm jealous to not have been there on the ground with you, but I'm curious with having so many farmers in the room, you get an overall feeling for farmer sentiment and maybe the questions that were asked. What was your takeaway from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that there's no doubt, Delaney, as you know, you've heard it. There's a lot of angst and frustration with a variety of things, but maybe, you know, some of the more overarching issues and problems that growers are dealing with is sitting on way too much old corn uh, for a year, like 23, where, you know, we've got a lot invested, of course. I mean, this is, uh, there's no secret that the U.S. producers spent a ton of money to get that 23 crop in the ground. Uh, the 24 crop's quite expensive as well. And I think uh, a lot of uh, growers sat here and maybe felt like since fertilizer was so much cheaper and input costs were going to be a little bit cheaper than 23, maybe they had the ability to kind of well, sit and wait a little bit and see what the, uh, you know, see what, uh, for instance, prices might do. And then all of a sudden you see what these corn has done since the decisions were made on what the crop rotation might be. So yeah, there's a lot of angst right now. I think there's a lot of uneasiness and growers are starting to feel that pit in their stomach that, you know, maybe this is going to last a little longer than what they originally thought. So a lot of the questions center on, you know, just simply what do we do here? You know, what, what are some ideas? And so uh, we're talking about the big change going from an inverted market to one where there's carry. And it looks like, you know, uh, making those uh, using bins the next year or two, you know, might be uh, something that we have to consider. So the last thing I'll say there is, you know, we've been trying to tell growers, if you're underwater, you know, on some of these bushels, uh, don't get scared into uh, pricing too many bushels all at once. You know, it's a long marketing year and this is going to be a little different environment than what we've been in the last couple of years. And I'm not sure if farmers maybe have angst about this, but the markets certainly seem to have angst about this new long or new net short position here, record net short positions, as the CFTC report recently reflected, the highest or the most net short positions we've seen here in about four years, pretty bearish position here for the markets. Matt, how is that weighing in the corn contracts right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, corn is likely well over 300,000 short. As of last Tuesday, I believe we're around 298. And so uh, given the market's movement since then, you have to assume that uh, the funds are pushing on a record short. I believe, uh, you know, uh, somewhere in that 325 range, I believe, is is the most we've seen, like you say, in the last four years. And so it'd be a very short position. I think a lot of growers you know, in the market, a lot of people look at this and say, well, the funds are going to have to cover this at some point. That should create a really nice short covering rally. And, you know, Delaney, that's very much a possibility, at least in the short run. But you also have to consider that the U.S. growers probably holding on between nine and 10 billion bushels of corn. So, you know, uh, even if the uh, funds were at a 400,000 short, that's pretty easy math at a 2 billion uh, short position. So even if they were clear up there at 400, uh, you know, the, the farmer has a lot more corn on the other side of things. So basically what happens is the market on a short covering rally will rally on the board. Uh, and as farmers uh, turn around and sell, you know, it's going to provide hedge pressure. Uh, and I believe that you, what you're going to see this year, something that I've kind of felt all along, and I think a lot of people have felt, is that basis is going to really have a hard time holding together. So, uh, the, yes, the fund position is is one to uh, be aware of, but at the same time, we have to understand the way this market's set up, it's not necessarily meaning that we're going to turn around and rally like gangbusters uh, once they decide to cover that short. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, speaking to the production side, we certainly saw reflected on last week's WADS report. We have a lot of corn, both here domestically and worldwide. You know, when you think about where this market has room to move, Matt, what's the range we're targeting here for the next few months as we head into knowing what's actually going to get put in the ground this year? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. So, you know, as as we try to wrap our brains around it, there's no doubt that the lack of a safrina crop situation uh, is is going to be, uh, you know, obviously kind of hard on the market. Is a safrina crop going to turn out average or above average? That remains to be seen. We know acreage will be lower, uh, but USDA has been very, uh, I guess, laggard in adjusting production lower for both corn and beans. Uh, they may have a really strong approach there. At times that's worked for them in the past, but uh, we do know there's less acres there. So if they do get into a situation, it could be supportive for the market. If it's not, uh, it's it's going to be a big concern because now you're going to be relying on uh, U.S. production. And we know that due to the fall run and how good fall weather was and how much anhydrous uh, came out of the system this last fall, that there should be a pretty decent amount of corn acres that are already quantified. Yes, uh, corn versus beans right now probably favors beans in a lot of areas uh, due to uh, the way that this uh, price of corn has fell out of bed while inputs have stayed fairly strong. Uh, But at the same time, like I said, last fall, I think we quantified a lot of those acres. So uh, what kind of ranges might we be looking at? I think in the short run, maybe you've got a chance you know, to see this corn market uh, and soybean market maybe stabilize somewhat. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what kind of rally might you look for? And I, I think getting to $5 is going to be tough. I think the closer you get to five, there could be a significant amount of headwinds there. Uh, whereas on November beans, I feel fairly confident you can see above $12 again. You know, you look, for instance, at that uh, November bean chart and you've got a, a, you know, a gap up there around 1230, 1240 area. And so with that being said, I think you've got a shot at going up in there and maybe filling that. But if you do, I think we've got to be paying very close attention because, uh, you know, there's no doubt that the downside of this to talk the other side of it Looking out into the fall time frame, I guess, Delaney, I've got some uh, some concerns that if uh, some of the wrong cards fall, we could be looking at, you know, potentially a sub $4 on the board price uh, for these corn. And then, uh, of course, on November beans, I think that you could get safely into the tens. Uh, I don't know that you go to single digits necessarily. I think there's some people floating that idea around. I'm not quite that bearish, but I think if you had a huge crop with big acres, you know, anything's possible. But as we transition our attention to looking at wheat here, they certainly push lower in the overnights. And then we're not able really to pull through into a positive trading day today. Is just this just leftover hangover from the Wide Street Report or another factor here playing into the wheat complex? Yeah, I mean, there's just not a lot of news to drive us higher. I mean, I think when you look at the big three, actually wheat has got as much a shot as any, uh, in my opinion, it may be being able to catch a hold of a story. You know, we understand that if there is a big cold shot of weather here uh, before we get into spring time frame as uh, this winter wheat comes out of dormancy, you know, it could be something that uh, you have to pay very close attention to or even areas that, for instance, have no snow cover. We know that uh, excessive cold uh, can play a role. Uh, Nobody knows what spring wheat acres are going to be, but most are estimating they're going to be down. You know, and so if you come in here and you have some issues uh, with any of your... uh, uh, wheat crops, uh, there's no question that it could be uh, a supportive type move I, as you continue to see not only world but domestic stocks, you know, kind of wean themselves off of that 50% stocks use that we had for so many years 
you know, it all of a sudden gets you in a situation where one or two areas of the world have, you know, a problem with wheat and all of a sudden you can be talking about tightness. And so that's not something we've experienced for a long time. I and mean, we've had domestic tightness, but we really haven't had a global shortage, if you will. So, uh, you know, I'm not bullish wheat, but I certainly feel like this wheat market uh, could stand to see a little more upside. I think it's got a better shot at it. If I was going to place odds on it, uh, not necessarily buying it because uh, I do not trade wheat. I will tell you that I have no desire, no interest in it. Uh, but I do think that it may have a story here as we move through the year. Matt, let's talk about the story going on right now in the feeder cattle market. You know, we had some pretty good highs put in last fall. We hit a low in early December. We've started to recover from that, but was that just a dead cat bounce or where do where are we at here with the with the feeder cattle markets? Well, you go back into early December, you know, sixth or seventh time frame, I believe, is where we set a low and you were in the low two teens, you know, and then all of a sudden you look here and I mean, it's just been a nice uptrend. You come in here today and as far as April is concerned, you know, you're looking at uh, what, 254, I think we settled at 253.17, uh, heck of a nice market that we've seen, not only for feeders, but fats, I think. Moving forward, you got to ask yourself how what what kind of supply of feeders are we going to have, especially, you know, with some folks having a little bit better pastures than what they did a year ago. I'm not saying everyone's going to retain heifers, but some will have the ability to make that decision. And being that's the case, you've got to assume a fair amount of heifers will get, re, uh, you know, will get uh, retained here this year. And if that's the case, uh, I've got to think cattle on feed numbers as well as placements could be awfully, awfully meager uh, at times this year, especially compared to a year ago. So you look back into that September, October, uh, November timeframe and cattle on feed and placements were awfully high. You know, you're talking some 105, 106s there. Uh, and, and with that being the case, so what's the next year out look like if they're below normal, so to speak? And you could be looking at low 90s. So uh, I think that the cattle market's got a story. It's probably the most exciting of all of them. And it's no secret that the funds have been piling into this cattle again. The reason why we dropped 35 bucks on fat cattle is because the funds puked as far as our longs were concerned. And now they've been building a long position again. And I don't blame them because, you know, I, looking at the numbers we've got moving forward, if the economy can just can sustain what we've got going on here as far as cattle are concerned. I'll tell you what, I think uh, I wouldn't want to be short going into the cattle on feed and placements numbers that are going to be staring at us. Well, Matt, I think that's all the time we have for markets today, but certainly appreciate your time. And I know we'll see you down at Commodity Classic here in just a few short weeks. Oh, absolutely. I look forward to being there and anybody that's there, make sure to come by and say hi. Fantastic, Matt. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Absolutely. Well, folks, that does it for another Market Monday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, as Matt mentioned there. AgMarket.net will be at Commodity Classic in just a few short weeks. So will the Ag News Daily crew. So be sure to hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you're going to be at Commodity Classic, we'd love to catch up, say hi, and maybe do a quick interview with you for the podcast. But until tomorrow, we'll uh, let you go and see you back here then.